0: Working in breweries in Asheville and San Diego, Holly Stevenson was brought in to help create the Guinness Open Gate Brewery quite literally from the ground up. She brought some morning beers to the studio to talk about her career, the craft beer scene, and what exactly a craft beer is. And so where were you before Baltimore? Um, right before Baltimore, I was in
1: Asheville, North Carolina.
0: Oh, I've always wanted to go to Asheville. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. Highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, and there's a
0: ton of breweries there. Tons, right?
1: Yeah, and before that, I was in San Diego. Okay, um, and what, then before that, DC.
0: What's the brewing scene in San Diego like?
1: Uh, it's massive. Like it's probably really the biggest beer tourism market um, in the U.S. Really? Yeah, Asheville know. is is big in that it's very saturated, but it's in a very small area. Whereas San Diego is very saturated over a very large area.
0: I would not yeah, have guessed. It's that. Incredible. Yeah, I don't know why I would have felt like New England.
1: Yeah, no. Believe it or not. I mean, Portland has a scene that's growing, but it's still very succinct.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So what were you doing? Were you doing the same jobs in both cities or were you, I mean, I guess, well, I guess we should start from the beginning. How did you get into beer?
1: Yeah. So, um, I was living in DC, um, and while I was in college there, um, I started drinking at the Brick Skeller, which was one of the first and best beer bars, like in the US that was just really dedicated to beer, having like a list that was like a book, um, and so I started getting into beer by drinking Belgians and kind of wild Belgians, sours, lambics, things like that. Um, and then uh, I moved on to my career in government relations and did that for about six years. Um, still kind of like a growing beer fan. Um, and then kind of at the height of, of the craft beer craze, when all the craft beer bars started popping up in D.C., um, I started, I became a regular at one and met the, the owner, was like, hey, I'm thinking of maybe opening... Uh, a brew pub or, you know, a brewery, <clears throat> maybe you could take a look at what would go into that and whether it would be a good idea, and I'll pay you to just write something up. And it I was used like, to be a sure. regular. <laughs> right? And so I, uh, so I did that and was like, wow, you know what? I think this would be like a really good time in my life to make a jump, and I decided to go to do a brewing program in northeastern England, in Sunderland, England.
0: And What were you doing know, in government?
1: Um, I represented, well, so my specialty area was health and biomedical research, and so it was a lot of clients who had an interest in NIH dollars, so competitively awarded research funds. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was, yeah, for all, like, nonprofits and research universities. So So it's a huge shift.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you just, like. All the chips and the day like you just yeah. pushed all in. And I was went like, beer's good. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if
1: I'm good at making it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so did the succinct brewing program, came back, got my first real brewing job at Stone Brewing, which was the like the ninth or tenth largest US craft brewery at the time. So um and, and the industry at the time was also growing like twenty or thirty percent year over year, which is like enormous growth when you're wow. already big. And um so I got probably like what now with the the rate of growth now in the industry, i I got in three years probably what what some people won't see in a career in terms of, like, growth and expansion.
0: That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I have a question. <laughs> what is a craft beer? That's a good question. A lot of – you could fight over this for <laughs>
1: for very well, I long I don't know, time. so you can tell yeah, me. Yeah, so, you. I <laughs> mean, so to me – so the um, the Brewers Association is the main association that represents independent uh, – well, they now that – the definition has changed um, – year over year it seems like because um like long respected and loved independent craft brewers um will sell off or you know take on an amount of of money that no longer uh defines them as independent so um the brewers association who's really kind of held this community of independent brewers together uh, kind of in the a marketing charge against uh big beer like a b miller Coors. Mm-hmm. um um, they seem to redefine that because the definition of craft brewery is changing um, every year. So, it used really, to kind of be like a financial ceiling you could
0: hit, and then you yeah. were. Yeah,
1: so, right. It used to be like, oh, like this, you you make this much beer or less, and you're not owned by one of those two guys in your craft, right? And so now it's much more complicated now because um, the landscape has changed and the and evolved so much, because even craft brewers are now making seltzers, you know, which is defined as beer by the TTB, but otherwise is not beer in any way. Uh, well, I mean, in most, in many ways.
0: What's an example of, like, a controversial craft brewing company? Like, who who would be, like, right on the edge?
1: Um, I don't think there's any, I mean, there's not really controversy. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, you know, Boston Beer is really big, like huge massive and most of what they make is actually Mike's Hard Lemonade not Boston Lager or right. Sam Sam Adams Boston Lager but there's I wouldn't say that there's controversy there because they they led and shaped a lot of like the the foundation that we've all been able to kind of build these cool independent breweries on um so i mean there may be like some people might say it's controversial that they're still considered independent craft but okay. But I wouldn't. I don't yeah, think maybe that, that wasn't the right word.
0: <laughs> but <laughs>
1: but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there have been buyouts and things that some people have taken really personally when, like Wicked Weed in Asheville, for example, sold to AB InBev. And um, most people really didn't like that. Um, most people in Asheville or in the beer, beer world? Um, I would definitely say most people in Asheville. I don't yeah. really know how far it stretched the news, you know, how, how far impactful that it really was.
0: Okay, so you are in England and then you go to San Diego?
1: Move well, back to DC. Move back to DC. Yeah, okay. To, to job search. Okay. Yeah, and then ended up going to San Diego for a job that I got. Never I'd never been to San Diego, never set foot in the brewery. It was like all phone interviews and um,
0: What was that like?
1: Um, it was scary. Like, I mean, all my best friends are still in DC. So leaving them kind of leaving the life that I'd made for myself there as an adult. Like like I said, I lived there 10 years. It's the longest I've lived anywhere. I seem to bounce around every
0: three years at this point. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> were you in San Diego for about three years? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. Did you yeah. like it?
1: It was gorgeous. I mean, I think if I like, so, you know, I got my job there as an assistant brewer. So literally, literally the bottom of the barrel, I left as brewery supervisor. So I got to do a lot of different things while mm-hmm. I was there and grow a lot. Um, but I mean, I was making no money, and it's, in, expensive it's there. very expensive there. So I think, like, going back as as an adult, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like I think I would have a very different experience. But and you're head I brewer mean, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: yeah, that's. But, you've climbed the ladder a bit. So. Yeah, I just yeah, I
1: didn't. I don't know a lot of beach, a lot of dog beach in San Diego is what we did. That's a great. Lot. Yeah, so that was good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so how did you end up back here? Um, so yeah, so
1: I. So went to San Diego, then to Asheville for a job, um, and then while I was still in in my role in Asheville, um, I got a call about the Baltimore project. And I knew that it was, I knew that it was happening. Um, I didn't really know much else, like timelines, things like that. Who they were hiring, where they were in the process, um, but I got a call about well whether I would be interested in talking about. A position there and so
0: was the call out of the blue it was had... totally
1: out of the blue that's, uh, yeah that's a huge compliment. wildly unexpected and that's amazing very cool yeah so yeah so i mean it over months of um discussions i finally um was offered a job and took it sure <laughs> i don't think you said I mean, that again it's hard <laughs> to say no yeah i mean and it really was a perfect a perfect thing like getting it on the ground with a project that I really believed in and, and cared about for a brand that, like, is just globally loved, um, including by me. Mm-hmm. And um, being able to kind of build, help build the, the philosophy, philosophy and, like, literal foundations of the brewery itself. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was, you know, I, my boss and I were brought on um, before there was any brewery there. I mean, the wow. buildings were there, but we had to turn it into a brewery. So
0: you were part of the process of of, of building the space, yeah. and did you have any say in like the, the build out? I mean, were you able to to consult with the engineers and the architects to? to yeah, out what certainly. You
1: that was that was a lot of what Peter and I did for um, for building the breweries specifically, the tap rooms, and um, I mean, we we definitely were. We had input into those, but that was kind of a separate side of the business. We were we were really just like putting in pipes and valves and sensors and brew house vessels and in two breweries because we have the production brewery, mm-hmm. um, which makes blonde and now milk stout um, for the nation, which is cool. Milk stout was born in Baltimore on our pilot system. Oh, wow. yeah, and it's our newest release, so it's slowly kind of getting out into the market. Um, and then we have our pilot brewery, which is on the bottom floor of that of the public space, which has the tap room and the restaurant. Okay. So. We got to build both of those those spaces, which so your really fingerprints
0: cool. are forever all over the space, which yeah, is pretty cool. That's kind of cool. That's yeah. really cool. So I am not a beer drinker. I am sorry to say to you, and I hope <laughs> you don't find that offensive. I do not. Um, so I I know Guinness and I like Guinness actually quite a bit. If I'm going to drink a beer, that is among the beers I would like to drink, but I only know Guinness as like Guinness, like mm-hmm. the.
1: The stout the with stout. the tiny bubbles yeah, the creamy head. Yeah. And the little
0: thing that's floating in the can. What's that yeah. called?
1: The widget. The widget? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. So
0: that's how, or like when you, you know, with a tap where you, I used to bartend and you, you know, you do like the half pour and mm-hmm. then the rest. yeah, The, the
1: two part pour, yeah.
0: So that's the Guinness I know. What is the Guinness that you know? Because it's, it's so much more than that.
1: I mean, that's definitely how Guinness was born in my mind, right? Like, so that was the first Guinness I ever had and probably the only Guinness I had for most of the time that I've been drinking beer. Um. But, you know, that beer, like, Guinness as a brewery has been around for, like, 261 years almost. Like, we're in our 261st year. And that beer has only been around for 70 years. Um,
0: what was before that?
1: So there, I mean, so early in history, Guinness was actually making a lot of pale beer. Um, and then we were on, like, kind of the leading edge of porters and stouts. Um, And then remained most predominantly a stout brewery, making extra stout and foreign extra stout, which are actually made in other parts of the world, too. Like, so we have breweries in Africa that predominantly make foreign extra stout and that make their own, like, Guinness recipes at home. If you talk to a Nigerian, Guinness is Nigerian. It's not an Irish import. Like, it has been associated for, you know, for Americans, where, like, it's it's this one beer and it's it's an import. And, you know, having this brick and mortar here is actually giving people an experience that's more similar to other other world Guinness drinkers because we not only, you know, can give access to, to those stouts, although we're not brewing them here, um, but we're making what is uniquely American Guinness.
0: Pretty cool. So, yeah,
1: because we have blonde, we have milk stout, we have the tap room with 16 different beers that rotate all the time. You know, so that that tap room, um, the most of the beer that's brewed there is brewed in the pilot brewery downstairs, and at any given time, maybe a quarter of that is really targeted R and D work. Like, mm-hmm. I'm working on this hop or this beer. Or, a quarter is you a know, pretty massive, but but most of it is what we want to be drinking right. to keep
0: the list exciting and to keep the list balanced. So, uh, how often do you change the matter? How often are you going from R and D phase to actually?
1: I mean, I'm we brew
0: multiple it. times a week, so it can be
1: both in both in the same week. It's wow. not like one or the other. And uh, I would say probably, um, you know, during a normal normal traffic season, we'll turn over around two draft lines a week. So to a new beer, so you're um, always so there's always, always something, something new. new. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and we there are definitely recipes that we rebrew because we really like to drink them, mm-hmm. um, but. We, I mean, most of what we brew is—we're much of what we brew is the, for the first time that we've ever made it.
0: And these are there's no um, like Guinness guidebook, right? Like, are you just you guys are autonomously creating these recipes, or is there sort of. is there like a, a a guidebook that you need to sort of follow?
1: There's not a guidebook. There there aren't like these like rigid rules, but there's certainly like we're. We're a part of his company we work hand in hand with the with the dublin brewery um, we we all build what we do off of a very specific authentic like rooted philosophy mm-hmm. so it's not so it's neither that we are being dictated what to do by someone else or that we are just going off and doing our own thing um, it really is an authentic collaboration with with Dublin and
0: like an appreciation of the brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I mean, some people come in and they're so they're so confused. They're like, "How did you? So how did they let you brew that?" And we're like, "Well, we're we're Guinness. Like we're also Guinness. We're them. They're <laughs> like you know like <laughs>
0: <laughs> we let ourselves brew it." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I could. I mean, I could see a little bit of the confusion, but I mm-hmm. love that that you guys are here and you're able to tell that story to Baltimore because you know, people like me that don't yeah. know anything. Well, Guinness
1: has been innovating for years. I mean, the we have actually, when you walk in our front doors um, and up into the tap room, the first thing you walk, that you see when you walk in is a copper kettle that's been cut in half. It was a, a relic from our archives in Dublin. And that was actually the first ever, like, innovation R&D pilot kettle um, that was at St. James's Gate. And I... I I just think that's so cool, and Mm -hmm. I I will never forget walking. It was kind of when it hit me, like, kind of how cool and how big this could be that what we're doing here um, historically uh, and culturally is when I was walking through St. James's Gate in Dublin, and uh, our tour guide, like, just mentioned, oh, that was, yeah, that's the building where the first ever pilot brewery was, and so I'm standing there looking at this, like, 200-year-old building, and I'm like, wow, like, we're building that right now Mm -hmm. in the U.S. and Baltimore. That's, That's a cool moment. Yeah, it was a really cool moment.
0: Yeah. What was the decision to come to Baltimore, or how was that decision made? Um, so I guess it was, I mean, there,
1: there were a lot of decision makers involved, obviously. Um, but a few things. I think that um, kind of uh, the main visionary in all of this um, saw some really, Some synergies between Baltimore specifically and St. James's Gate, which I like better understood after I went there. Like just the feel of the site, Mm. Um, the 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 feel of Baltimore being on the water, the the like the seafood culture, very similar. Like Guinness has been talking about seafood and beer and pairing beer and food, and you know, Dublin is on the water. Like there were just there were some synergies there, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, Also, very helpful that. we already owned the build the site. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and just the, you know, I mean, Baltimore is so close to New York, Philly, D.C., mm-hmm. to BWI. Like, just, I, it just was, I mean, I'm glad that someone thought it was a no-brainer because I think a lot of people, you know, there is a lot of, there can tend to be a lot of uh, kind of preconceived notions about Baltimore that are negative and um uh, I don't. I don't like any of them. Me either. <laughs> I
0: like it
1: here. <laughs> well, and like you know, Hailthorpe. It's
0: you're technically Hailthorpe.
1: Technically Hailthorpe. Okay. I guess it depends on who you talk to. Relay Hailthorpe, Elkridge, Arbutus. Yeah, we're we're about two miles outside the city limits in the county, in Baltimore yeah. County. Yeah. And how
0: has that location been? It's
1: been great. It's I mean, we're great. five minutes from BWI. I get to work in thirteen minutes, like from from you know from mm-hmm. Otterbein. Um, so. I mean, I think it's super close to to downtown. Anyone you can easily lift there. Sure, you know, like I mean, yeah, it's, it might be fifteen twenty bucks, but come on, it's less than a DUI. Exactly. so just do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We do this cool partnership with Lyft. Um, I saw you like Lyft parking. and we have that Lyft little thing where you can
0: sit and cover it so cool. and all that. Yeah, yeah, and it's such an it's such an obvious. Thing to do, but I don't yeah. think enough places are doing things like that. Yeah, I mean, and we just, have we
1: we're, we have a pilot uh, city bus stop now um, that hopefully will stick.
0: Really? So,
1: yeah, which is great. A lot of our employees br- take the bus to work, um, and hopefully, you know, if that spot sticks, we'll be able to
0: you know advertise a little more to bring to bring people out. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, how have you found um, the Baltimore brew- brewing community? You know, you've obviously lived and traveled extensively. How have you found the community here versus elsewhere?
1: I mean, the community here is awesome. It definitely has its own fingerprint. You know, I think everywhere that I've lived does. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I left, I mean, geez, I think there were like three three breweries that I remember in Maryland. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there were probably more at the time, but like there, the the scene now. There's a, there's a scene now. It's amazing how fast everything grew in however long that, that was seven years mm-hmm. eight years um there's just so many good brewers here now and
0: we were tra- before you got here we were yeah. trying to name all the breweries oh, yeah. in the city i think we got to 10 and then yeah. yeah which is and again for someone who doesn't drink beer like i yeah. i know these brands in a way that feels like more intimate than perhaps is deserved but yeah that's just how and just major the, number, now.
1: the number of other breweries that you can get to so quickly in
0: 20 minutes mm-hmm. or 30 minutes mm-hmm. you know that are they're really great Maryland breweries. Do you tend to I mean, do? You, do you find yourself like at different breweries when you're not at work? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad life. <laughs> I know.
1: It's people are like,
0: "What do you do on the weekend?" I'm like, mm, "I drink beer and visit breweries." <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? You feel comfortable saying which one is your favorite, or perhaps your most visited?
1: Um, I would say that my most visited is Diamondback there in my my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they've
0: been on the podcast. Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. We brewed beer with them too. They came to our spot and we brewed a collaboration beer last February. Actually,
0: is that typical in the industry? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. that's Definitely. really cool. Yeah. And then, um,
1: and Monument City is another one that I frequent because it's easy to f- for us to get to, um, and they're just great people. And we've collabed with them too. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that probably space. like like three or four three or four months ago, we did a really cool beer with them. What was it? Um, it was a, it was a half sour hazy IPA. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you brought two beers with you today. What? What? How do? How do I ask this? What is the difference between them, both in taste and then the actual brewing experience and like the recipe creation?
1: Yeah. So we brought uh, the Citra Rye IPA and the Batch Sixty Two IPA. So both of these. Only sold at the brewery. These were developed on our pilot system. Batch 62 was literally the 62nd batch we ever made. Ever named. <laughs> citra rye, also very literal. It's a citra single hop uh, IPA with rye as a large percentage of the grain bill. Um, so the main differences uh, between them would be the the heavy rye and the citra rye, but also um, the hop combinations. So, I mean, but they're both IPAs, which are our favorite as brewers, um, the ones on at site right now, anyway, um, not all brewers. I don't speak for all brewers. Okay, well, why are they your favorite? <laughs> um, I'm I just I think I gravitate toward hoppy beer, like the American craft beer palate tends to. Okay, <laughs> um, and so these two we really liked. These are brewer favorites right here. All right, yeah. So we just actually canned these Wednesday and Thursday, so two days ago. Oh my god, yesterday, and they're for sale now at the brewery.
0: Um, let me grab. You, can you give me two more glasses? I'm, I have a little cold, and I'd like to try these. I can already smell this one. The Citra Rye. Oh, Citra Rye, yeah,
1: yeah. So, kind of <laughs> it smells great. Yeah, so it's citrusy. It's dank. Um, you could probably pick apart what that
0: means to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The the aroma is incredible. I really like it. And not just because you made it and you're sitting in front of me. Thanks. That's delicious. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Oh my god. Kind goodness. of got like a biscuity, spicy rye um, body and mouth feel.
0: So, mm. how do you get the citrus flavor?
1: That's all hops. It's just really That's a single hop. That is the the citra hop. Yeah. So depending on how you use hops, you can get bitterness, you can get aroma, you can get flavor. And there are hundreds of different hop varieties out there. So Citra is actually one of the the more currently popular um, and most probably one of the most successful um, hops coming out of the American breeding program. So most American hops are brewed in the Pacific Northwest, Yakima Valley being the the biggest place. Um, and so this was de- Citra was developed there, and is definitely one of the more popular hops. Oh
0: well, it's so refreshing. Yeah, and it it is. I understand what you mean by the dank mm-hmm. description, but then the, the citrus just lightens it mm-hmm. and it's really lovely. And I didn't know that oh, hops it, so American hops tend to come from the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. Really? Yes.
1: Yakima Valley. Just That's...
0: ideal conditions or ideal conditions, okay. exactly, yeah. It's yeah.
1: it's has everything to do with hours of daylight and climate.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so you got another round of glasses yeah. or are we gonna yeah. just pour into
1: these? 10 a.m beer yeah it's,
0: no it's Friday <laughs> it is a good breakfast beer actually
1: so the batch 62 we actually um used a really light grain bill as opposed to using some like rye has a definitely has an effect on how you taste and perceive as beer we use the a super light dry grain bill here just to let the hops really shine um so there's really this is just as hop forward as you could get. It's just pilsner and regular uh two row pale malt. And then this one features <coughs> cheers. Um a hop that was recently turned from experimental to mainstream um called Equinot. Equinot.
0: Mhm. So it has a it has a totally different aroma and flavor. How does it go from experimental to mainstream? Is it just that brewers use it?
1: Yeah, okay. it's demand, but it's all it's it's demand by brewers, but it's also um I don't know how practical it is to grow it. So if you have a great hop, but farmers aren't going to plant it because it doesn't, it doesn't like, each plant doesn't give very much fruit, you know, or then no one's going to plant it. Yeah. Or if it's susceptible to z- disease, or um doesn't matter how good it is, no one will plant it. So. What's your take on, is it lupulin? L- What's the There's, like, a, a hoppy additive. Yeah, the, well, so it's not an additive. It's actually um, a part of the hop that they— just take out of the hole. So um, the powder is the, it's the, it's the yellow stuff. If you break open a hop cone, you can see the lupulin powder inside. It's these little tiny yellow oil glands or oil sacs. Um And so they've, they had, there's this cryo product now that they're, that's what they're calling it. And um, basically they remove all of the vegetal matter and just, well, they're pelletizing it now um but it just those just those little glands that are unbroken
0: um and what
1: so is, i what mean do they it's, do it's so own. it's just kind of like super concentrated lupulin okay and it's interesting um and i think it's best like blended with other with other hop products because it, it just takes away from i don't know there's you, it takes away from just the the whole experience like vegetal matter like you don't want to hop that's super vegetal and it's going to remind you of just like grassy vegetables and tomato leaves right but um but when you take all of that away it also kind of changes it in a way that i think is lacking so i like i like i like the product but because i think it adds like a major punch um in dry hopping especially but i think i like the well rounded ones that are blended with other like Hops that have the vegetable matter in other parts
0: is maybe another dumb yeah. question. So just bear with me. Um, is beer like wine in that if you know what you're tasting, you might know where it's from or what conditions it was created under, or is it is the process like a little bit different enough that that you wouldn't be able to do that? So
1: yes and no. So you definitely beer is beer is something that you can drink and have an idea. And potentially have an idea of where it might have been made um, or what it might have been made with, but in a different way than wine. I think most of the time, um, there. I mean, because you can have you can have pilsners from Germany and the Czech Republic that are probably going to be really very distinct from from other pilsners that you're going to drink, um, and a lot of that has to do with yeah yeah their ingredients, their water, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think when I think of terroir, like it just seems more. It seems more local, and I think people more and more are grow, trying to grow barley in non traditional places and hops in non traditional places. Um, but, but it's it's still it's hard to do that. Like agricultural processes are grown, you know, in mass in specific places because that's where they do well, right? You know, so it's very hard, um, and so most of these producers are super small. Um, so there's not a lot of fully local beer out there when it comes to ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess it can make a difference because like a lot of like hops not grown in Yakima Valley are going to have a a totally different character. You could take the same rhizome of, of, from a cascade hop from Yakima Valley or Willamette Valley and plant it in Maryland and it's going to be, have a completely different profile. Sure. Um. But not one that I would say yet is like I, is like a fingerprint that's like identifiable by people. Okay, so, right. you know, what I, in the wine way. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: I understand. So, as a Guinness brewery, am I crazy to think that St. Patrick's Day is a big day for you guys?
1: <laughs> no, it's definitely a big day. We're looking forward to it again this year. Um, we're actually brewing some beer specific for St. Pat's. We're making um, a. We're going to bring back the Irish Breakfast Tea Amber, which was a hit last
0: year. Wait, Irish Breakfast Tea Amber? Yeah. That sounds amazing.
1: It kind of came out of a conversation that I was having um, with one of our retailers, and he was telling me this story about his memories of sitting in his grandma's living room and being able to smell the work, like, wafting over from St. James's Gate while they were having tea. And and he's actually – we kind of talked out a beer while we were sitting there, standing there in the bar – and so when when St. Pat's came along, I was like, hmm, like maybe I could make that for St. Pat's. That would be really cool. So it's actually Irish breakfast tea, which is a blend of black teas. And we put that into uh, a low ABV amber ale, and it comes out really nice. We're doing a black currant stout. So over there, it, so in Dublin, um, you'll see a lot of people pumping a syrup into – into Guinness in certain bars and I was like what what's going on there and I guess some people like a pump of uh, black currant syrup in their beer to kind of take take the edge off so to speak Um, I don't know if people think it's too roasty or too bitter or whatever and so we actually use um, black currant puree and we we put that into the stout um, on the brewing side not the not the serving side so it's a little different but um, yeah. And so that'll be one of the special St. Pat's beers, too. So, yeah, I mean, and there'll be more, but um, we're really excited this year. And they're going to do some cool outdoor things that are going to bring in other people from the community, like kind of an Irish market theme. So oh, it's going to be cool.
0: Yeah. I bet you get a ton of people. It's, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Very cool. <laughs> well, um, at the end of each episode of this podcast, I ask five questions um, just about the things you like to do and eat and drink in Baltimore. So, if you'll Ooh. indulge me, okay, um, where's your favorite place to get a drink that is not <laughs> where you work? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Max's,
0: Max's, or
1: some Max's would be the because little baby Holly beer drinker was kind of born there. Other than the Brick Killer I mentioned in DC, like, oh really? You Max's has been around forever too. Yeah, um, so I would come up and go there. Um, and then the other than our site, the the James Joyce is also a great
0: spot for <laughs> for our Guinness pint um where is your favorite place to go to dinner
1: oh gosh dinner um that i mean there are just there are actually too many to list <laughs> but <laughs> um like in my neighborhood um my closest place and kind of my my local is sobo cafe but i used to um, work there did you really mm-hmm. that's awesome A million years ago yeah yeah such good people but i also love going down to hirsch's um and Amazing. then when I when I do leave my little peninsula, it's often to go up to Lane Harlan's places. Those are all wonderful. Sure. Um and the the kind of the Foreman Wolf group spots are all at the top of my list. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Um where is your favorite place to go on a date?
1: Probably all of
0: those places. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the last time
1: that I that I did that, um, we went to Fad and Sonnen, and then we walked to Clavel and then we walked to WC. Sort of rolled down the hill. Yeah, sort of rolled <laughs> yeah. down 23rd Street, and that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Although, that's a good night. Yeah, found out my wife doesn't like natural wine though, so that I don't know. I, I don't deal I don't might either. be deal might be off.
0: Where is your favorite place to be outside in the city?
1: Mm, well, we walk our dogs quite a bit around Fort McHenry. Um, that's one of my absolute favorite places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So,
0: and then, um, favorite place to buy a gift.
1: Oh man. I mean, there are so many holiday markets in Baltimore. Um, We've, I mean, gosh, we always go to, um, they always have one at our house and, um, oh, what's it, what's it called that's in, off the park, um, arts, what's it called? Off the park, which park? Patterson. Uh, The big space, oh, it's super cool. And it's a,
0: it's a. It's like a collaborative arts space. Oh, um, um, um. No, um, creative alliance. Yeah, yeah, creative alliance. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: God. yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and breweries tend to have pretty cool things that pop up too. Really? Yeah, like I know Peabody Heights does. Um, I've been a couple years to theirs, and um, Checker Spot did one this year. So I like popping around to all the holiday markets. There's such such an amazing artist community here. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime that I have a chance to go see what those people can. Pin purvey that you might not see in a normal storefront. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I like to go gift shopping. Cool. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show and for bringing beer to me at 10 in the morning. Yeah. I can't (laughs) tell you how much I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, good luck with everything. I'm excited to go see the the brewery. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much, Holly. For more information about the Guinness Brewery, visit guinnessbrewerybaltimore.com. For past Hey Baltimore episodes and info about everything happening downtown, go to our website, GoDowntownBaltimore.com. Hey Baltimore is edited and produced by Mike Evitz and made possible by Downtown Partnership. Our theme music is by Super City, and I'm your host, Megan Eisenach. Thanks for listening.